We're going to open with prayer. God, just be with us right now, Lord. And uh, Lord, I often think about the scripture. It says, I stand at the door and knock. And Lord, we, we want you to know that you're always invited. This is your church. God, this is the bride of Christ. And we want Jesus to, to be the head, the high priest, God. We, we want to be submissive to what you want, Lord. And thank you for all these letters through the New Testament that really uh, go into detail about the struggles that, that, they, were, that they faced and answers and, and what we really need to focus on uh, at the end of the day, Lord. And so thank you uh, for this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. God, it just gives us such clarity and insight Lord, and so just uh, help us to, to receive it, God, to hear it, Lord, as it was written, and to apply it, Lord. And so, God, we just surrender this time to you, in Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, we, you know, we talked about the church in Galatia, we talked about the, the church in Corinth and, and the issues going on there, and so there's, there's been this church, the church is about 25 years old at this point, uh, which is close to how long Paul's actually been a Christian, you know, uh, so it's kind of interesting and neat. And the good news, the gospel has made it to Rome and not via Paul, uh, even though he's writing this letter to them. Uh, he did a lot of church planning, but this wasn't uh, on his account. But he did write this letter to him because he's super excited. Man, Rome was arguably and probably the most influential city of the time. You know, there's a lot going on there. And so, hey, here's this church plant. It's a, it's a good thing I was sharing. One of my friends shared with me this week, and I was sharing it with a couple people this morning. Uh, there was a new uh, Christian church plant in Vegas, and, and there's, there's, been, uh, there's been a church presence there, and it's growing, and you know, and I think about Sin City, and I'm like, hey, yeah, Jesus is also there, you know, and similar thing right here in Rome, like Rome is this, like, just epitome of the world going on, right, and, and all of these things, and, and so here's this church uh, in Rome, and man, what an opportunity and what an influence uh, they get to have, and so uh, Paul's excited. He writes this letter and man, this letter is just a masterpiece. Uh, and I love all Paul's letters, but this is my favorite. Uh, so I'm a little biased. Um, I just love how he wrote it, the words, what it, the meaning, all of it. I just, I love it. It's, it's my second favorite book in the Bible uh, is, is to read Romans. And it has my favorite chapter in the Bible, Romans 12. Um, I love that chapter um, because I just think, man, what a mindset to have. And we're going to end with Romans 12 today. I talk about Romans 12 a lot. Uh, especially the first couple of verses there, and I'll share that with you at the end. Um, but so he's writing this letter and, and, and encouraging, and really what he's doing in this book is defining the gospel. You know, we use that term a lot, and it's easy to say, hey, what's the gospel? And you, write, or you reply back, it's the good news, you know? Um, what good news, you know? <laughs> so sometimes we throw around religious jargon, and we don't really know how to talk about it, and we really don't know how to define it. And that's important, right? I mean, it's important to know, hey, because we're supposed to be sharing the gospel, and we need to know what that is, and we need to, you know, know what we're doing. So Paul writes this entire letter, and man, he really hones in on uh, the gospel definition here. And so he carefully is articulating this, and, and he lays it out in a way where he, he talks about our problem, right, which is sinfulness. He talks about our problem. He talks about God's solution to said problem. And then he talks about what in the world that means for you and I and for the Rome, Roman church at the time. And so he lays it out that way. And, uh, and so, I mean, the word gospel is used in like six times right in the beginning of the book. Uh, so big deal here. And really, the reality is it's the answer to every problem. 
the gospel. Sometimes I think we try to put it in a box for unchurched people, uh, but it's just as much for you as it is for them because it's a reminder of what Jesus did, who he is, and, and what it means to every one of us. And I hope that the wisdom in that as we learn to understand it better and better, because all of the Bible points to this, right? We've been talking about that. All these, all these historical things that we have leading up to, to Jesus and affirming who Jesus is, and then Jesus lived his life, and so like he can relate to us, and he understands, and he lived a perfect life, and he defeated death, even though he sneaks off from his parents. I'm calling my mom and dad, and they like, hey, I didn't do a bad thing when I snuck out of the house. Jesus did it. No, just kidding. <laughs> that was good. I was... When you were reading that, I was just thinking, you know, just as a parent now, like the other side of that, like freaking out, like, where's my kid? Um, But, you know, Jesus lived this life and he's this example to us. And and then, you know, of course, he comes into his ministry and he he recruits disciples and he trains them up and and loves them and and, uh, gives them the Holy Spirit. And the church is birthed. And the church's mission is to do what Jesus was doing. (laughs) Okay. It's to reconcile the world to God. And all of that, all of this is through the gospel. It's through the good news, you know? And so if we don't have some at least firm understanding of the gospel, we just can't go around and look at people and say Jesus, right? Like there's something to this. And so Paul does a great job in this letter. And if you've not, if you've not read Romans in a while or you haven't dug, man, it's an incredible book uh, to really hone in on and study, and you're like, man, last week you told us to read two letters. Like, this is a lot, Jeff. Take it easy. Um, we might even do Romans as, a, as an entire book study sermon series ne- this coming year. Um, and uh, so we're going to dig in a little bit today. Remember, we're at the 30,000-foot view, so we're just kind of glazing over the surface here. Uh, there's so much we could get into, but I just want to kind of hit the highlights of the book. And, and again, what Paul is trying to say and what he's, what he's after here. Uh, with the church. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to break it into five questions, and we're going to answer the questions with Scripture, okay? The first question is, what's the problem, all right? And of course, I know we just spit back sin, but Paul goes into some length here uh, about it, so we want to talk about that. Secondly, what's the solution? Uh, what's the problem is, is chapter 1 through uh, chapter 3, verse 20. The solution begins in 320 and goes through chapter 5. Then why do we struggle, right? Because Jesus has come, we have sin, and he saved us, so why do we still struggle with stuff? And Paul addresses that from chapter 6 through 8. And then in chapter 4, who makes the call about, about our eternal security, salvation, all this stuff? He addresses that in chapters 9 through 11. And then how is this? how does this change my life? And that's kind of how he ends the book in 12 through 16. And so that's the breakdown of Romans. That's how it's, how it's broken up. And again, and if you haven't read that in a while, it's, it's super encouraging and a, a good read. So we're just going to walk through these questions. We're going to talk about them, answer them with Scripture, and, uh, and then everybody's going to go out and change the world. You can do it, church, right? we got the Spirit of God. He can do great things if we'll do the going. All right, so what's the problem? Well, you're a sinner. I'm not. You are a sinner. You're, we're all sinful rebels, right, just by nature, we have this rebellious spirit. Um, I was definitely that as a kid, man. I just, I heard a rule and I wanted to do the opposite. I still feel that. <laughs> like, uh, I still feel that when someone puts something on and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. But we're sinful rebels and, and God is righteous and just. And honestly, I mean, you can't read the Bible and not see that he's angry about sin because he is, right? 
I think sometimes we look at God or people at least treat God like he's this big teddy bear and he's not really going to punish anybody. Yeah, he is. He gets angry over sin. Angry. It's in there. Okay? He takes it very, very serious. And, you know, again, we talked about that. Jesus hung on a cross because of how serious he takes it. In our culture today, no one wants accountability. No one really wants their toes stepped on. And when, if they actually attend church and their toes get stepped on, you know, they might say that in passing going out the door. But is, it, is the Word of God actually changing you? You know? Because it's way bigger than just getting your toes stepped on. I often give the illustration of the rich young ruler who got his toes stepped on by Jesus, and he's like, what must I do? And Jesus tells him what to do, and he left sad, right? Now, I don't know if a week later, if he changed his mind and he sold everything and gave it to the poor, I don't know, but I know on that day he left sad because he wasn't willing to follow Jesus. He didn't have the things of the kingdom in mind. He had his own security in mind, right? And he was a good guy. He was a good guy who did all kinds of good things. But his security wasn't in Jesus. It was in something material. And Jesus called him out on the mat to it, and he left sad. That's the story. There's no accountability. No one wants to talk about their sin. Everybody just does church or Christianity the way they see fit. And as long as they're not breaking the big immoral ones, right, they're, they're good to go. And that's not the, again, that's not the picture that gets painted in Scripture at all. There, there's no mediocrity. Man, Jesus is like, Hey, I want all of you. And we're going to end this sermon today with that truth. And it's a truth that as a brother and sister in Christ, man, you need to embrace. You need to embrace it. Romans 1, uh, 18 through 22, it says, this is the sin part. What's the problem? We're sinners. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Man, I I don't know about you, but I've sat across from people... And, and they've tried to explain why there's no God. And I, like, I don't even know how to respond, to be really honest with you, because of what this verse is saying right here. And again, I know I got the Spirit, and God's helped us grow in our wisdom and understanding, and we see things that we didn't see before. But to look around and see how detailed creation is, and not at least come away from that with, hey, there's got to be a supreme being who designed all this, is insanity to me. I mean, I can't, even if we're not, even if we don't like compartmentalize it in Yahweh, the God of the Bible, for, for people to walk away, and I'm, I've, I've set across conversations with people who are trying to chalk it up to all kinds of things, and I'm just like, what? Like, and then when you give the example of some rational thing in our culture today, right, something that makes perfectly good sense, and I, I know one of the ones that gets used is, is a watch, you know, and like no one would walk up to this Apple watch and think that someone didn't design it. Nobody would do that because that's crazy talk. But yet, people will look at creation and, oh, well, that can just, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, what in the world? And creation's far more detailed and advanced than this silly little watch is. 
and how all the things work together. And so he's saying that right here, man, it is abundantly clear, but there's, they don't want to follow people who are living in sin. They don't want to follow God. And because when you follow God, now you're accountable for your actions and it opens up a whole can of worms, right? So we got to find some excuse in some way that we can dismiss this. And so in all their wisdom and knowledge, and, and again, I'm not all science, but people run a trail of science to disprove God, right? They became fools. And they're still doing it today. They're still doing it today. Romans 1, 29 through 32, it says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. I want to come back to gossips. We read some of those, and you might be like, man, I'm glad I don't do that stuff. You know, it's super easy to gossip, though. Super easy. And brothers and sisters, when you're saying names of people, you need to be real careful what follows. Because it can real easily slip into a gossip thread real quick. We're supposed to be edifying to one another, loving one another. Are we doing that in our speech with how we're talking about our brothers and sisters they are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolishness, faithful, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So again, not just they don't just participate, they're like, yeah, do it. In our elder thread, we, uh, I think it's Jamie sent, sent out, this, hey, if, if Paul was in America Day, we definitely need a, a letter, right? I mean, this Jason sent it. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody said it. <laughs> I mean, this is happening all around us. All around us, it's happening in churches, you know? And we have to decide whether we're going to actually follow Jesus and what he says, not part of the Bible, but all of it. Romans 2, 2-3, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Romans 2, 6, he will render to each one according to his works. Chapter 2, 9-11, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Like, again, I know God is love, and, and sometimes we take that word, and man, we water it down so bad and apply it to him. There is still a wrath of God that's coming, and that is not going to be a fun day. It's not. I don't think it's going to be a fun day even for the ones on the right side. That's going to be a tough moment. But God is righteousness. He's holy. He's set apart. He's all these things, and he can't not be those things. And so if people choose to live in sin, whew. Romans 2, 9 through 11. There, oh, I read that one. Romans 3, 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Your sin, my sin, has made us an enemy of God. Uh, early on in my youth ministry, before I learned some things, I thought it'd be fun. I did have a food fight. Peyton, do not do this, okay? It's not as fun as it sounds. Uh, so uh, my kids talked me into it. We literally went outside on a picnic table. I made pans 
or I dump stuff into pans. We had refried beans. We had uh, applesauce. We had chocolate pudding. There was a couple other things. Cream corn, I think. I don't know. There was a bunch of stuff, and we were so wasteful. Forgive us, Lord. And we dumped all this stuff in, in these things, and then I was like, on your mark, get set. And literally sitting at a picnic table top is all that's between us. And like, you know, all these kids, and myself included, uh, just chucking food at each other. Oh, my. It was gross, man. Like, not only did it get on you, but it, like, it got up into your... I mean, it was just gross. Like, you could smell stuff and like... Ugh. And then as it mixed, oh, my gracious sakes. It got worse and worse and worse and worse. But what a great object lesson at the end because that's what sin does and that's what sin looks like. And so, of course, we had to take water and, and, and get cleaned off. And it's like, hey, this is what Jesus does, you know? But that's what sin does. We're an enemy of God and, and we are lost without Jesus. So what's the solution? God in his anger, God's anger was satisfied in Jesus on the cross, in his death on the cross, it was satisfied. And so Jesus paid the price. And so forgiveness comes by faith, not by our good works, right? We've been talking about that uh, and the battle that, that's, that goes on in that uh, tension right there. And so it's difficult for us because, uh, to my knowledge, nothing else works that way. Everything else is an earning process on some level, or at least we think it is, right? I know my kids sometimes do things to earn. They think they're earning my love or my approval, or whatever, you know? And I try to remind them often, hey, I love you, man. I love you. And I try to really say that in the discipline times, you know, and when I got to get on to them, and, and when they have, you know, done the wrong thing, or been disobedient to us, like, hey, I still love you. You need to know that nothing's going to stop me from loving you, but I can't let this go on, right? And so, uh, so we, we, have to, we have to embrace that grace was a free gift from God. Romans 3, uh, 23 through 25. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This is how to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. In Romans 5, uh, 6, 7, and 8, it says, For why we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus went to the cross and took our punishment, right? And, uh, you know, I... I shared with you, I, I wasn't a very good kid, very rebellious. I actually, you know, people, well, he had a good heart. I did have a good heart. I, I was nice to people, but I just, rules and authority, I just struggled. And so if I could break a rule, I would do it. And I know I've shared this for you. There was a time uh, before I really ran into Jesus. And, I, and for some reason, they give college kids credit cards. <laughs> who thought of that? The banks, I know who thought of it. Um, and so I, I, we were somewhere, and it was like, get a, get a free T-shirt if you sign up for this credit card. And, and I was like, I could use a free T-shirt. I can't afford clothes. I'm in college. And so I, you know, I signed up, and they, they gave me one. I, th I think it had a $3,000 limit. I don't know, something like that. And then I found this guy at Kroger who wouldn't card you for purchasing alcohol underage. That was a great combination, let me tell you. 
underage drinking and a credit card with a $3,000 limit. And I maxed that joker out. And then guess what happened? I couldn't pay it back. And the interest started rolling, right? Because it was like probably 40% or something. I just something ridiculous, I'm sure. And I'll never forget the day my mom told me my dad paid for it. And uh, I just wept like a baby because I know that my parents knew what I was doing. And my dad took that on himself. And uh, what a moment, you know. Um, and I know that falls short of what we're talking about with Jesus. But like, those are the things like Jesus took this for us. Everything that we deserved, our debt, our, our punishment, all of it, he took it on himself and paid the price. So if he did that and we get the Holy Spirit, why do you still struggle? Why does Paul say, why do I do what I don't want to do? And do that? Why does he say that? There's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus, right? And the, and the Holy Spirit does give us power, but it, in the power, we're growing and maturing. It is a process, all right? One day, there's not going to be sin, and it's no longer going to be a process, and we're going to be with our Father. But right now, we're still in the flesh, and the flesh wages war against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the, the flesh, and, and they try to do things that are uh, contradictory to each other. And, and so... Uh, we can overcome sin, and it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by, and I said this, I think, last week, pulling up your spiritual bootstraps, right? We've, I don't know if you've ever tried that. Uh, usually we make it for a little while, but I, come on, man. I mean, we struggle, right? And maybe, maybe you took one of, your, one of the sins out, right? I don't know whatever it is, but, but there's probably something that's in you, man, that whew, you just can't shake, and it just is always lingering, and Satan's always trying to get a foothold, and he's always just waiting for an opportunity, right? That's what the Bible says. He's waiting for an opportunity, like a lion, to pounce on you. Usually when you're alone, usually when you have idle hands, the Bible talks about all that, right? Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Key being in Christ. We have to be in Christ. In uh, verses 38 and 39 on down in that chapter, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even though I still sin sometimes, I'm still under grace. Yes, as long as you're in Christ Jesus. As long as you're abiding, right? They're, like the Bible paints this picture over and over and over again, all over the place, following, obedient, abiding, connected, right? We are not saved because of the works, but the works are a result of our saving. <laughs> Without question. I mean, if, if you can show me something else in Scripture, I will gladly read it. But there's evidence of our faith, or James says our faith is dead, Right? And I've asked, I've posed this question many a time. How in the world can the Holy Spirit be inside of us and us not be different? How in the world could you be dedicated, right? The, the, the scripture talks about us, um, oh, what's the word it uses in Acts? Um, they devoted themselves, right? Devoted. If you're devoted to the word of God and you got the spirit of God in you, you don't think things are going to be different for you? Uh, you got to be kidding me. You, you won't even be able to help it. Just like the apple tree out there is going to produce apples, you're going to produce the fruits of the Spirit because you're doing what God said to do. You're meditating on His Word. You're walking by the Spirit. You're doing the things of God. There's going to be fruit. 
You're going to be transformed. You're going to be changing. You're going to be growing and maturing. The same solution for sin is the same solution for our sin struggle. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus that he keeps helping us grow and mature, and it has the power to not only save us, but it absolutely has the power to transform us and mature us in Christ. So who makes the call? Do we choose God or does God choose us? Paul is writing this this letter. He knows the Jews are struggling, right? Because all of a sudden Jesus has come and like some things, some thoughts are different and he's, they're all trying to wrestle through it because they've been God's chosen people, right? And, and so they're like, oh, but now, now I got to accept Christ. Like what? And so there's this struggle going on uh, of, of who's choosing who here. And the answer is yes. Who chooses? Do you choose God or does God choose you? Yes. All right, now buckle up. We're about to get into that little train of thought that's like, whoo! A little crazy. Romans 9, 15 through 16. All right? We're going to stand behind the curtain with God for a minute. We're going to be on God's side of the curtain. Okay? For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now let's get back on our side of the curtain for a minute, something we can wrap our heads around. 10, 13, and 14, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed, and how, they, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So in the first verse, it's all about God and his mercy on who he wills. In the second verse, we have a job to do. What? This is one of those moments, you know, standing on God's side. He's God. He's God. Like, <laughs> we're, we're, we are responsible for choosing, and, and we're responsible for, for following, and, and that's our side. But he can predestine, and we still have a choice. Good luck with that. Because God's God! And you can't put any limits and all this stuff on God and you can't wrap your head around God and you can't get your brain to get, to get there. You can't. His ways are far above our ways, right? We, we are on the human side of the cur- curtain here. And so it, we can read it and we can understand it. At, at some point, you just gotta be like, hey, God's God, man. It's bigger than something I can understand. But he knows. But yet somehow I still have free will and choice and I still have a part to play in this. He asked me to pray because I have a part to play in this. He asked me to go share the gospel because I have a part to play in this. He asked me to be a part of the bride because I have a part to play in this. And so do you. So do you. From our perspective, from God's perspective, He's God. He's God. So, how does this change my life? And this is how Paul ends the letter. Uh, he, he brings the plane down right here. And man, this is, this is it, you guys. This verse, this chapter, um, I would just really challenge you to spend some time. Uh, if you're not going to read the whole book, man, lock into Romans 12. Um, because the answer to that, how does this change my life, should be radically. There should be a radical change in our life. Now look, 
Are you parting seas and planting churches? And I don't know. That's between you and the Lord and your journey and your walk in the Spirit. And God has a plan for you. I know that. And it might be to, to be a mother of some children and raise them up in the Lord. It might be to plant a church in Antarctica. I don't know if there's any there. That sounds fun. I don't know. But I do know that if you follow the Lord, He'll tell you. He'll equip you. He'll send you. Right? He'll empower you. He's going to do His part in all of those things. But I do believe the answer to how my life has changed is radically. We should think different. We should act different. Our security should be in different things in the world. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, cross planes. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. By the mercies of God. All the things we just read for 11 or talked about for 11 chapters of you're a sinner and I'm a sinner and we can't do the grace. Nah. Because of all of God's mercy, he sent Jesus to save us because of that. To present your money as a living sacrifice. To present your church attendance as a living sacrifice. To, to present your obedience to the, the, the laws in your land as a living sacrifice. Nope. Nope and nope. He throws out there the actual thing that we have to give ourselves. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Why? Because this is your spiritual worship. This is how we worship God. Do not be conformed to this world. You, we've got to stop thinking like the world thinks and trying things the world's way, right? And it's easy to do because there's, there's some logic behind some of it, right? And if I do this and then... It, and some things work. I know churches where they've grown numerically and things work, but spiritually they're dead. They've missed it. There's churches in the Bible that did it. They talk about them in Revelation. We'll get there. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's where meditating on the Word of God comes in you got to know the Word of God. I hope you have a desire and a passion for the Word of God. And not just reading it so you know more, so you can like puff out your chest, right? The Bible talks about that. And oh, look what I know. Look what I know. So it transforms you into the likeness of Jesus so that you're actually doing these things and you're making an impact on the world for His kingdom and not yours. If you're not in the Word, you are not doing that. I believe that. I don't think you can. Like, I think we've got to have the power of the Word and the knowledge of the Word mixed with the Spirit of God to go out and do godly things. If you're neglecting the Bible, mm, I'm telling you, you're falling short. Get in the Word. We've got to know it. We've got to meditate on it. Study it. Read it. Think about it. Have a verse in your head all day that you're just running through. Mine the other day was do all things without complaining. <laughs> Sorry. I jumped to, I can do all things through Christ, verse, all of a sudden, squirrels. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the, that by testing, you may discern what is 
the will of God. I, you know, I hear a lot of Christians talk about, I want to know what God's will is. I want to. It's, it's written down. It's great. He's already told you. Awesome. You need to read it and study it and follow it and pray. And then walk in the Spirit. That's what you need to do, right? And it doesn't say you're going to wander around what God's will is. It says that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Your bodies. There's nothing left, right? It's, it's all of me. And let's just... I thought about having an animal sacrifice this morning, but I thought I'd get fired and then something else would probably happen. It'd be gross and people would leave the church. But I, like if you can Im- imagine with me for a minute that practice that used to go on all the time. And there's the lamb or the dove or whatever laying on the altar. That's what we've been called to. And I know that's kind of gross, but we're supposed to lay our life down because we know that there's something eternal coming and it's bigger than anything that's going on right now. We know that this is a blimp, a little blip, right? That's how the Bible describes it. Just this, you're here for a minute and then you're gone. We're all going to die. Death is coming for all of us. There's a few days this week I thought it was here. Shay made me hang shelves. I was ready to go home and see Jesus. It's coming for all of us. Nothing living is going to escape it. Nothing. What's important? What's the most important thing? And sitting in this pew, I think you tell me, oh, God, glorify God. But what is it on Monday? What's the most important thing on Monday? Or when your spouse is mad at you, or when your kids have disappointed you, or when you're you're being threatened to lose your job or something over your faith, if any of you are facing that. What's the most important thing then? What's the most important thing if God called you to dig into your retirement to like take care of something spiritual? What's the most important thing then? Are we still going to be the little lamb on the altar? Are we going to offer our bodies as living sacrifices and be obedient? Not to what Jeff Beckham's up here spewing. What the Word of God actually says. And I think some of us avoid reading the Word of God because we don't really want to know what it says. Because it's going to make us change our life, or at least choose. And if I just play dumb and don't know, I've been there on some things in my life I didn't want to know. I'm like, just don't tell. I'm not going to go to the doctor because I just don't want to know. That'll solve it. I've been there. I felt that. And I think sometimes we do that in our relationship with Jesus. If I just don't know. Well, brothers and sisters, we covered it today. You know, sorry. You know, Jesus has has done the work. We we get to bask in it, the grace. And it ought to radically change you into going out there on mission for Him. And not just sharing the gospel, but maturing in the gospel too. Both things. And take people with you, right? Because as as it... As it, uh, as it winds up, it's, it's, this is God's view of life, okay? Everything is done in love. This is for the believer. I put others first. I mean, think about these things for a second. You get to evaluate your life right now, not me. I, I'm not here to judge you. I got my own struggles, right? I'm wearing it together, bearing with one another in love. Everything done in love. I put others first. 
I use my gift for his bride and his kingdom. I'm submissive to the authorities. I don't judge others because they don't live the way I think they should. Or I don't cause them to stumble by living out my freedoms in an irresponsible way. Woo, easy. I can overcome evil with good. That's how it wraps up. Man, great book. Great book for you to piggyback off this sermon and spend some time in it this week, I'm telling you. And allow God to speak to you and and change you through his word. Because there's some incredible stuff in there for his followers. And it's just a great picture of the gospel. So we're going to stand and sing an invitation song this morning. And, uh, you know, I mean, the the challenge for me is just what I said. Are you willing to, to examine yourself through what Paul writes to the Roman church? Are you willing to be Romans 12, 1 and 2? That's a big old question right there. Am I going to live a sacrificial life for him? And only you can answer. And we'll stand and sing. God, uh, just thank you for Romans. Thank you for uh, putting that on Paul. Uh, Lord, the, the letter that was penned. And, and uh, God, um, there's some big stuff in there. Uh, and I know just sitting in a room of this size, God, they're, they're, we're, we're all over the place, Lord, in how we view you, our understanding, what the Bible says, what it doesn't say. God, I pray that your people this week will dig into your word, Lord, and allow you to teach us, allow you to sharpen us, allow you to examine us and, and us lay down the things that, that are holding us back from, from serving you, God, and pick up our cross as you've called us to do and follow after you. I pray that we love each other so radically that I no longer have to get my way, but I'm going to love people so radically that when people see it, they have a question because it just doesn't make sense. Help us to be that, Lord. Help us to be your bride, the the bride of Christ, the, the church, the body, and be on mission with Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.